beautiful people and welcome back to another episode of Wildcard Conversations, my little podcast where I pull random cards with thought-provoking questions for my wonderful guests. I am your host Katja Bavendam and I am so grateful for the diverse group of friends, acquaintances and strangers who come on here with open hearts and minds. What they all have in common is that they have wisdom to share, knowledge to drop, stories to tell and I am so happy to hold space for them, listen to them, sing their praises, cry and laugh with them, and share a little bit of myself as we go along. On today's episode, I am joined by Alison Kinnear. She's a coach, she's a speaker, and she has worked with thousands of people as they navigate their vulnerabilities as parents, employees, and leaders. After having worked at Google herself, she loves working with groups in that high-stakes professional environment. If you want to work with her, you can check out her info in the show notes. Her mission is to inspire all people, but especially women, to show up with integrity, authenticity, and courage. So we talk about all of that good, empowering stuff, about connecting with yourself, figuring out what it is that you need and want, and then asking for it, and how that's a lot easier said than done. We talk about letting go of self-doubt and of all the disempowering garbage that society tells us about ourselves. I had so much fun recording with Allison. We laughed a lot. She knows how to drop a good F-bomb. So if you're listening to this right now and you have little ones around that you are trying to shield from F-bombs, consider this your warning. Today's episode definitely has a bit of a feminist touch to it. It is safe to say that Sephora will never sponsor this podcast, and I'll admit that we dunked on white men a few times. If you are a white man listening, know that I still love you and I'm grateful you're here. And to all of you listeners out there, thank you so much for tuning in. Out of all the things you could be doing right now, you are here with me. That's pretty cool, and I truly do not take it for granted. As always, I hope you find joy and value in this conversation. If you want to support the show and help it grow, please subscribe, follow, leave ratings and reviews, and tell a friend about it. And now it's time for you to sit back, relax, and enjoy this wonderful conversation with Allison Kinnear. Allison, welcome to Katya. the podcast. Thank you for being Thank here. Thank you. Thank you, Katya. So I like to start every episode with a little bit of an intro of how we know each other. So mm -hmm. you, after Shara was on a few episodes ago, you are another life coach training instructor connection. And we, made a, we made a really great connection when I was your student, made me cry a couple of times and you're very soulful and you have a big genuine smile that the people won't see because this is audio only but thank goodness <laughs> big big genuine smile and just a very genuine person and mm -hmm. you were also the one who was assigned with giving me my little graduation exit reading and that's true I don't remember all of it but I remember the core sentence was you do not have to earn your worthiness which mm -hmm. hit me right in the core and make me feel really seen and mm. empowered. I think we all have those lessons that we need to learn over and over again in life and the messages that we need to hear over and over again. And that's definitely one of mine. So thank mm. you for recognizing that and reminding me of that. In that same vein, there was one super impactful moment in class 
And I've never planned anything for a guest, but today I've planned something. So I have a little attack planned on you. Oh my gosh, I have no idea what's coming. This is great. If I shoot a link over to you right now, would you be so kind and read this poem that you know well to me and the listeners? Yes, of course. Here it comes. Oh, oh, Katya. This is Wild Geese by Mary Oliver. You do not have to be good. You do not have to walk on your knees for a hundred miles through the desert repenting. You only have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. Tell me about despair, yours, and I will tell you mine. Meanwhile, the world goes on. Meanwhile, the sun and the clear pebbles of the rain are moving across the landscapes, over the prairies and the deep trees, the mountains and the rivers. Meanwhile, the wild geese, high in the clean blue air, are heading home again. Whoever you are, no matter how lonely, the world offers itself to your imagination, calls to you like the wild geese, harsh and exciting over and over, announcing your place in the family of things. Thank you. It's still just just as impactful. You have a gift for reading and a gift for speaking. So I'm super grateful that you're here. And I know you have a little bit of a cold and you already have another podcast interview under your belt today. So thank you again (laughs) for being here and for playing along and reading this for us it's one of my favorite poems ever since you read it to us in class and so thank you you are so welcome thank you for putting that in front of me i i will i love that poem so much and i'm so yeah thank you thank you my heart is full okay we're done right like that was amazing that's it thank you (laughs) it's a wrap no here comes what we're actually here for i've explained this to you you know we're here for a wild card conversation i call Uh, a random conversation starter card and if you're ready here comes your question allison i can't wait katya okay what are you holding on to that you need to let go of oh what am i holding on to that i need to let go of oh my gosh i'm gonna need some time on this i'll tell you something This is new, but something that it's not public at all. There's some work that I've been doing for some time now, and I kind of surprised myself in saying, you know what, I think I'm letting go of this. And then it was just a mutual like parting that just happened today. So I'll say that. And that's all I'll say about that. And then there's this other opportunity that kind of came up through that. And I've been sitting with like, this is the opportunity to work with someone and they're like, all right, we're going to do it this way. And it's going to be like this. And at first I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds good. That sounds good. And in the moment it did kind of feel that way. But then with a little bit of space, there's this, wait a second, is that what I want? So all to say, what am I letting go of is the people pleasing. Sometimes I forget to go back to the question of what is it that I want? What actually serves me? I get how I'm serving you, but like what's actually in service for me and like letting go of some of that fear of asking for what I want. Because so many times I feel like I'm just grateful for the crumbs. 
And that's really different than saying, you know what, this is what I want. Because the thing that stops me is the fear of the reaction. The thing that stops me is that <laughs> I had I had a situation recently where I did a speaking engagement and I increased my rates to an uncomfortable for me level. And when I say uncomfortable for me, it took me two weeks and like probably talking to a dozen people, at least three mentors, three official coaching sessions with three separate coaches for me to just ask for what I wanted, not what I needed, but what I wanted. And then I got it, which was fantastic. But I will tell you, Katya, it put me in a tailspin. I had, a, I had to go see like my massage therapist and I'm like, I haven't been in my body for three days because I asked for what I wanted and I got it. And I am in La La Land. I'm watching, I'm binge watching Netflix. I'm not even celebrating that I got what I wanted. I'm just checked out. And she spent the whole hour like shaking me. <laughs> like, you know, I mean, she did other things, but it was like, get back in your body. Have you since been able to come into it and celebrate the fact that you got what you wanted? I have sense. Yes. But it's almost like it's, it's a weird experience celebrating it. Now I am able to be like, that was really cool. I think the experience went well. It was a first speaking engagement. I'm like, I think it went at the time when I was not in my body, I spent three days going like, I have no idea what I just did. I don't even know if that was good enough. I don't know what just happened. I don't know. It seems like people liked it. They said they did. I mean, I had 40 people stay on a call for 90 minutes, not one person dropped off, which is great, right? But I was doing this analytical data that was like, here are the statistical things. They said this, they said that, this many participants stayed for this amount of time. And I'm doing the logical analysis, but my emotional self is just like, Meh gone. And then with enough time and distance and body work and getting back in my body, I've been able to go like, yeah, it was good. It was actually really good. But there's a gap in that. So what am I letting go of? I'm letting go of all the fear in asking for what I want, saying it, trusting that I'll be resourceful enough to respond to whatever the other person, how the other person responds to me, all that people pleasing bullshit. Yeah. I feel you on that. I think that's a, a shared battle that we fight is letting go of the people pleasing. So I hear you and see you. What you just said that stuck with me was, I'm asking for what I want and not what I need. And also the image of the crumbs that you mentioned made that mm -hmm. very clear because we can all survive on crumbs. Yeah. We don't need much more than crumbs. And it's not even about... Yeah asking what we deserve. Yes, we all deserve a lot, but who's to judge that, right? So really, it just yeah. comes down to what do you want? And to ask for that is difficult. And I to yeah. even know that, like you said, it took what, three coaching sessions to get to yeah. defining that number and then feeling brave enough to ask for that. So yeah. I think that distinction is is really important. I think with a lot of people, it starts with asking for what you need. That's baseline level. And then mm -hmm. you've now graduated to asking for what you want. So congratulations. <laughs> uh, thank you. People will say, well, just ask for what you want. Just ask for what you want. But it's like, when I break it down, I think about like how long it took me to even identify what I wanted. 
how many decades did I spend somebody asking me, what do you want for dinner? And me going, I don't know. What do you want? How, how long did it take for me to claim like little small things to like check in with my body? I mean, Katya, I'll, I remember I was doing my thesis on alcoholism, family dynamics, and shame resiliency. That's what my master's thesis was on. And I was part of my research was uh, looking into Brene Brown's work. And I remember listening to, it was like a course she gave that was recorded on CDs. I don't even remember which, it was not in a book, but I remember like sitting in my car, listening to the CD and she was saying, talking about boundaries and like, how do you know when to set boundaries? And how do you know, like all of those things? And she said, here's the key. And I remember I had parked my car. I was I was late for work. I was cutting it on the edge there. And I was like, I'm staying in my car and I'm listening to this because she is about to crack the code on boundaries. And she said, the first thing is you have to feel into your body. And I said, fuck you, Brene. And I turned off the car. I was angry. I was so mad because my head was hostile territory, but it was the only territory I was willing to exist in. The whole tuning into my body and the tightness in my stomach and the sweaty pits and the tightness in my throat and my chest, I just wanted to disconnect from that. It was far too uncomfortable to connect with, but that's where all the answers are. My body is the one telling me what I want for dinner. My body's the one responding when somebody who I'm like, that person seems nice, but they also seem shady as hell. That's because I've got this knot in my stomach, right? Like I have to first connect with it. Then I have to, that's like one, two, I have to listen to it. And then three, I have to like believe it. And then four, I have to find some courage. And then five, I have to like speak it out, right? There are so many steps. People will just baseline it and be like, just ask for what you need. Just ask for what you need. It seems so simple. Just ask for what you need. But it's like, there's all this other stuff that needs to happen first before that can come out of, before it can come out of my mouth and I think about anybody else's mouth. Yes, to all of that. As someone who, probably like most people, because we're very head-based society, I think we've all lost connection to our bodies, our intuition, the intuition mm -hmm. that lives in the body. Mm -hmm. So how do you get there? How do you get out of your head and into your body and get yourself to be able to listen to your body? Do you have any secret tips for me and the uh... listeners? I love it. I mean, I will say my first step, I needed structure because I didn't know how to do it. Just sit and meditate was like the most unhelpful things I could have possibly heard. I mean, I, at the time I was working at Google and they would offer the Headspace app for free. And it would be like, great, I'll listen to a 10 minute meditation. But they would be like, sit down, get comfortable, focus on your breathing, and then silence for five minutes. And what took place in those five minutes? A tidal wave of flooded thoughts and shame and, you know, just I'm doing this wrong. I'm failing. I can't even meditate. I can't even sit quiet for five minutes. It was just great. Let's have 10 minutes of structured pain. That did not work for me. So the thing that that did work for me was 
I took a, something called MBSR, Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction Class. And it started in Harvard and it's an amazing program. And I happen to have a really amazing instructor. And that was super helpful because we did all different kinds of mindfulness exercises. And the thing that actually was my favorite, especially at that time, was walking meditation. I didn't know walking meditation was a thing. And I didn't, Thich Nhat Hanh, if anyone knows who that is, like big Buddhist monk, apparently that was one of his favorite ways to meditate was walking meditation. And there was something about the movement. I think because I had so much going on inside of me, I almost needed there to be something going on um, physically. And you don't go fast. In fact, the, the purpose is to go slow. It helped focus my brain on, I'm going to try to be aware of both feet as I just lift and do I notice the lift off and do I notice the shift in the weight and what's happening with my knees and my hips and a weight back to my feet again. And then the, the next step, when does my foot make contact with the floor again? And when does the other foot lift up um, and slowing myself down enough to like really be able to pay attention to that. I feel like it gave my hyperactive brain a bone to chew on and to fixate there. And I will tell you to this day, my mantra to myself is feet on the floor. And I remember this from the mindfulness-based stress reduction class. They always start body scans and body scans is the other thing I would say. Body scans was the only other thing I could do. I remember my teacher saying, we always start with the big toe or we start with the toes. Why? Because it's the furthest point from your head. And so you go through your toes and you feel into your feet and your ankle. And again, it's like giving the overactive mind, like something to hang on to. It's not five minutes of silence. It's notice your toes, feel into your toes, notice the sensations in your toes. Now notice your ankles, notice the sensation in your ankles, notice the bottom of your foot, notice the top of your foot. Somebody's talking you through and it keeps the mind active enough and yet still allows the body to kind of relax and allows a, a pathway between the head and the body to kind of build a bridge. First of all, can we please release a meditation for the people that's called 10 minutes of structured pain? <laughs> I think it's going to sell well. <laughs> oh, just the anti the anti meditation app or something so like true. that. But no, I appreciate the uh, well one the walking meditation and the body scan like you said. And I think when I do those kinds of meditations, when I really focus on my body and every single little piece of it, whether it's just sitting and scanning or walking and focusing on the act of walking, you really become aware of what a freaking miracle your body is. You are out there and there's, I don't know, 150 bones in your foot and tendons and muscles. And you don't have to do this big act of thinking and programming to tell your foot or your feet to walk, they just do it because you're in the lucky position where all your neurons are and your your pathways are firing correctly. And you can do a million other things while you're walking. So it's just such a miracle. And I do always find those meditations or those practices where you really just focus on the body and what a miracle it is so grounding. So thank you for reminding me of that. Definitely. I mean, that's the thing I think about, you know, we as women are really bombarded. And, you know, it's like, who benefits when women are not connected with our bodies? 
Who benefits when women do not appreciate our bodies? Who benefits when when women feel terrible in, in our bodies? People are profiting off that. People are benefiting from women not being connected to their intuition, to their knowing, to their sanctity, to their gratitude. It's not a mistake. It's by design. And I think it's a radical act to really, you know, if if it's too hard to love the gifts of your digestive system and your gut and your knowing. And, you know, if that's too hard, then appreciate the hell out of your toes, like your ankles, your knees, your calves, right? Like appreciate something, your fingers. I remember doing actually at the life coach training when I was a student, somebody um, invited us to a retreat at their place and they asked for people to facilitate. You know, we all took turns facilitating an activity and I was asked to lead people through a meditation, I believe. And I was like, okay, well, what kind of meditation? And I'm telling you, Katya, it like downloaded, I, I couldn't type fast enough. So I did this energy meditation where we just kind of like gathered a ball of energy between our hands. And then it was like, we started with the toes. I give love and appreciation. Thank you, toes. Thank you, toes for keeping me stable and on my feet. Thank you, ankles for helping me move and walk. Thank you. You know, and we just went through everything. Like, thank you, skin. Thank you, eyes. Thank you, hair. Thank you, shoulders. Like, went through every single part of our bodies. And it was just so powerful, so moving, so so amazing to see the healing and see people's reactions to it. It's like, yeah, let's, this is what we get, you know, like, let's appreciate it because it's all functioning. And even if it's not functioning in the way we want it to, it's still here, right? Nothing thrives if we give something shame and anger, right? Like nothing is going to thrive in that kind of environment. What happens instead of giving ourselves fear and shame and anger, what happens if we give ourselves love and gratitude, compassion? It's a whole different world. It is. It's a better Mm -hmm. world. It's a better world. I, you know, the times that I get angry and of course life gave me a daughter who is obsessed with Sephora, like her happy place is Sephora and Ulta. She will just walk around the makeup aisles. It's like, she's beholding the queen's jewels. Like she is in awe. I think all the colors and the textures and the packaging, like she is like, She's truly in her happiest place, just wandering the aisles. And you put me in a store like that and I am angry. I am pissed. I am like, fuck you, Ulta, fuck you, Sephora, fuck fuck the makeup industry, the cosmetic industry, the beauty industry that is profiting off women feeling terrible about themselves. I'm not a rude person to people. I will be kind like if I'm out in the world, you know, like wait staff and like, I know what it's like to work in a service industry. So I am as kind to retailers. Like I know it is a hard, thankless job, but the only times that I am pissy to people is when I'm in stores like that. Like my daughter has called me out. She's like, you were so rude. person, And I have to check myself. So I'm not rude anymore, but I am so triggered because I just see it. It's not, you know, any tool is a weapon depending on how you hold it. And it's not to say 
cosmetics and beauty stuff cannot be used as a tool. Of course it can. I put it on when I'm wanting to feel powerful and in my confidence. And when I'm going and I'm doing speaking and I'm, you know, it's like, yeah, I get it. But so many times it's not used as a tool. It is used as a weapon to harm ourselves about like how insufficient something is. And it's used to like fill in that gap of unworthiness or insufficiency. And that is what, of course, it's not about the cosmetics. It's not about the beauty. It's just about like, how are you using it? And how can you use it as a tool that supports you rather than a weapon that tears you down? I've never thought about makeup like that. I am open to that perspective. I'm also trying to picture you in a Sephora, just taking all your willpower to not just destroy the shelves. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. That's basically it. Like, look around, see how many times the word perfection is used. How many times natural is used? Like you're putting something unnatural in your butt. Anyway, I took a um, women's studies course. And one of the activities we had to do was to look at how women were portrayed in a magazine, just grab any magazine, men's magazine, and a, and a it, it was a comparative analysis between like a men's magazine, a women's magazine, and just like a neutral time or whatever. And you'd look through the advertisements and see how are women portrayed? How are men portrayed? What What is the difference? And I'm telling you, there was a before in my life and there is an after, before that activity and after that activity. And once you see the insidious mindfuck, for lack of a better word, that happens around women and body image that doesn't always happen with men, does a little bit, but not as much, it'll make you want to go into a Sephora and burn it down. (laughs) Uh, I, I wanted to burn down this kids clothing store the other day. I was out with a friend and we went baby clothes shopping at this fancy French kids clothing store where a sweater for a two-year-old is $150. Why does that exist? I don't know. Anyway, the point was that it was still, even in New York City, where we're all super woke and progressive, it was blue for the boys and pink for the girls. And I'm like, are we still not past that? That alone, where it still starts at the baby level. I remember my friend who has two girls and he's very passionate about being a girl dad. And he said, you know, it's so frustrating. I can't find a cute graphic tee for my girls that they will like to wear that they think is cute. That isn't about princess and daddy's little girl or whatever. And that is about science or sports. So there's all of that. You're obviously well-educated and passionate about women's issues and how our struggles are unique. And I'd like to make a bold statement here and say that a man who booked a job, to bring it back to your earlier story, a man who booked a job that he was reached out to about and then asked for his fee and then went and did the speaking engagement and everybody stayed and everything Mm -hmm. was fine, wouldn't go into a tailspin of was this good enough was this what they asked for was did I ask for too much money and I know you're doing a TED talk soon and I think the topic Mm -hmm. is imposter syndrome is that right 
Yeah, it's it's actually the working title is Can Self-Doubt Lead to Confidence? Kind of underlying um, imposter syndrome. It's like what's underneath? What's underneath imposter syndrome? I was trying to look for the through line between what I what do I do with clients one on one? What do I seem to be doing here? What's this thing? Because they're they're wildly different situations and clients and people and speaking engagements, but there's some commonality underneath it, and I think that's it. It's like what's that relationship between self doubt and confidence and trusting yourself and um, this is not just a, a female thing. This is any marginalized community, you know, anyone in a marginalized community is going to be second guessing going, am I asking for too much? Will they go with somebody else? A- am I giving enough? You know, because there's different expectations too. Like a young family member said to me a few months ago, he's in college and said, well, you know, C's get degrees. And I said, please never say that again. C's get degrees. I was like, watch yourself as a white man, like, please. And that's not, that's not uncommon. Like one of the statistics that I cite in my imposter overcoming imposter syndrome talk is there was a study out of HP that found that women will wait before they put themselves up for promotion until they've hit a hundred percent of the criterion of the next job for men. Want to take a guess? what percentage of the next qualifications they feel like they need to hit before they put themselves up for promotion? 40? Great guess. It's actually 60. Okay. (laughs) Barely more than half. C's get degrees, right? We don't have time 40%, the D level, but the C level is fine. Fair enough. I can do a little more than half. I'm going to put myself up for promotion, right? So there's that kind of mentality. I think it's a privileged mentality. It comes with anyone in a position of privilege. And I think there's going to be a lot more second guessing when you've never really been given a seat at the table, you know, and a lot more like, is this okay to ask for? Is, am I worth it? And what I'm, is what I'm providing worth it? And I'm not going to give 60% at my talks. No, I'm going to give 110%. I'm going to hit all the criterion. I'm going to be like, welcome to the buffet at the Bellagio. And here's your gift bag on the way out. That's what I'm giving, right? Because that's what I've been trained to do. And so a lot of people, yeah, probably a lot of men are not going to be spinning out. And, you know, and maybe they're also giving the buffet at the Bellagio. Maybe they're also giving 110%. But there's a bunch that aren't, you know? C's get degrees. We're good. Got my money. I have never heard that, but it, I have no trouble seeing that come out of a young white male's mouth with confidence, unfortunately. I just had this thought, and this isn't some big aha moment, but if women self-limit and don't okay. apply for the promotion or don't apply for the job because they feel like they're not hitting the criteria, then the world is losing out on their gift and their skills and everything. And the company is losing out on getting a super valuable employee and all of that. And we don't get women into higher upper management positions. And yes, obviously the system needs to change and the people in power need to change something. But we as women need to also change and stop Mm -hmm. doing that shit. Yeah. And it's hard. It is such a double. To me, it's like you have to first 
start with yourself. So how do how do you make sure you're not limiting yourself? Because you don't you're not always aware. Like I'm not always aware of the times that I'm limiting myself until I've had an aha moment and I'm like. Oh, shoot. I didn't know that was an option. Like there's this woman I love, Trudy Lebrone. She's amazing. And um, she's a she's a coach. She wrote a book called The Anti-Racist Business Book. I highly recommend it. It's for coaches to create an anti-racist business. And she's just an amazing person. And one of the things she does is she works at six weeks at a clip. She works hard for six weeks. And then she takes a one week sabbatical, not just for her, but her whole team. They take a one week sabbatical. They read, they maybe travel, they're not sending emails, they're not communicating, they may be doing other things, and then they go back. This is not in lieu of a vacation. There's additionally vacation time, things like that, that are also happening. But it was like, she took charge of her calendar and was like, how am I going to thrive? I do best if I'm working at hardcore for a bit of time, and then I take a little pullback break. And it's like, I didn't know that was an option that's an option. Wait a second. What? So sometimes like we need models. We need people that are doing things differently to go, Oh, you know, women putting themselves up for wait, what C's get degrees 60% and then you apply. I didn't know that was an option. I thought you had to hit a hundred percent. Right. So it's like, we need to know this to know like, Oh, it's okay to apply to a job. I worked with a client once who was like, I'm not applying to any of these jobs because I only hit 85, 90% of the criterion. She wasn't applying for anything because she wasn't at a hundred percent. And so it was like, no, 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 we got to shift the mindset. Right. And then the other part too, is like the, the more we can do that and claim that and kind of go, you know what? That's okay. Because everything is figure outable. And I trust in my ability. I trust in my resourcefulness. I trust in my intelligence. I trust in all of my other stuff that I can figure out that 40%. I can figure out that 30%, right? There's that piece that we can do internally, but then there's the societal expectations. Society might expect for a man, 60%, that's good enough. But a woman or a woman of color well, I'm sorry, you only seem to have 75% of the criterion. Do you know what I mean? Like that happens too. That is a reality. But then that gives you information. Those are probably not your people to work for. Of course, you know, when I say we need to stop doing that shit, it's obviously it comes from somewhere, right? We're not just all making this up. So it is a real thing. But it's funny that you mentioned this example and said 85-90% because that was while you were talking was exactly the number that came up for me of how about we meet in the middle somewhere and get to a yeah. reasonable bar that's set at a reasonable level because no one is ever going to be perfect for anything and hit all the points I'm sure it happens every once in a while but it's rare mm -hmm. so how about we go for the, the 85 and the 90 percent and figure the rest yeah. out yeah yeah bees get quality degrees <laughs> <laughs> There you go. Well, there's so many people. I remember a friend of mine once she came over after work and she was kind of in this infuriated position. She's super smart and really quick and, you know, kind of type A driven person. But her boss is this like very relaxed, uh, like, ah, oh, it's good enough. It's good enough kind of 
person that was her, her boss and she just said god grant me the confidence of a mediocre white man you know she was just so frustrated and it's like well you miss 100 percent of the shots you don't take right so like we got to take more shots and that's hard because it's opening ourselves up when you take a shot and you get shot down it opens yourself up vulnerability wise you know not to this on white men all the time. I'm married to a white man. Like he's, he's fantastic, but it's just the way our society that's, you know, going back to the original question, what are you letting go of? A lot of my awareness lately, I think it's because I have, a, I have some really amazing support. That's kind of like bringing this into my sessions is like, what does the patriarchy, not like white men, but what does our patriarchal society, how does that benefit from whatever belief I'm not worthy I shouldn't ask for what I want. What do they think about that? What does the patriarchy, in air quotes, think about women asking for what they want? What does the patriarchy have to say about women believing in their worth? What does the patriarchy have to say about women like speaking up, earning a lot of money? What does that have to say? And it's like, you can't let go of something that you're not aware of that you're holding on to, right? So that's been like an eye-opening part of my journey lately is like, yeah, what? Hold on a second. It's not just my parents growing up. It's not just my current everyday relationships. There's this societal backdrop. There's this cultural backdrop. What do I think the culture is saying to me about women earning a lot of money, about women asking for what they want, about women having a job, you know, women working. What is that saying to me? Because when I shine a light there, who? What have you found? It's revealing. What have I found? I have found, I mean, shoot, I have my journaling right over here. It's like, Women, you know, about work, women working, mothers working. What what does society say about mothers working? I'm a mom. I've got two kids. What does it say about mothers working? Well, that's okay. That's fine. As long as you're not taking anything away from the kids, you know, as long as it's not interfering at all in that, because motherhood is like the most important thing. And let the men take care of you. Just let somebody else take care of you. Because your job really should be on the kids. But just know, like, if you're too much focused on the kids, that's also a little problematic because then you're not really doing a good job. Like, it's it's just conflicting expectations. Women earning a lot of money. That's great. That's great. But you know what? It's just kind of a nice to have thing if women earn a lot of money. Like, what's really important is that we are earning a lot of money that the people in power are earning a lot of money. And like, if you start to earn a lot of money, then you're my competition and I don't want that to happen. So once again, just let me take care of you. Let the men just take care of you. It's a lot of that kind of insidious stuff. What happens when women ask for what they want? Maybe if it's minor, you can ask for things within reason, but like, let's not get crazy. I mean- we need to be the ones in charge, right? We're providing for you. So no, you can't ask for the big things. That's crazy. You're not smart enough for that. You don't really know. You don't really know. You don't see it our way. That's the stuff I've been absorbing. I'm not a super angry feminist, but it's <laughs> it's rising in me right now as you're talking. Do you want to burn down a Sephora right now? <laughs> Go burn down that Sephora. Well, 
as you're laying this out so clearly, it's like women really can't win. Meanwhile, it's really easy for men to win. A man shows up for one birthday and they're like, oh, what a hands-on dad. I've never heard of a hands-on mom, right? Or if he's working crazy hours and a totally absent father, it's like, oh, what a good provider. He puts his family first. So all of the things where women get conflicting messages and will get hammered with criticism either way, somehow for men, there's a positive spin on it. I don't well, think and- about that stuff a lot, but it's... Interesting. It gets me enraged. And then I think about how is this harming men? Because it's harming men too. Men then have to always be the one in charge. They have to always know. They have to always push. They have to, if they are not earning more than their partners, then they are somehow a failure. They are weak. There's tons of terrible names for men who are not, you know, like they get put in their place too. The thing that I think about I'm about to drop some F-bombs here. So the thing I think about with all of this, especially like women getting these conflicting messages, the prices we all are paying due to this structure, right? Is that you are fucked any way you do it. You're fucked if you're working. You're fucked if you're a stay-at-home mom. You're fucked if you're earning a lot of money. You're fucked if you're not earning a lot of money. You're fucked if you ask for what you want. You're fucked if you don't ask for what you want. If you're fucked any way you do it, then guess what? You get to choose how you want to be fucked. That's my philosophy. You get to choose how you want to be fucked because guess what? You're fucked either way. So choose how you want to be fucked. And guess what? I want to choose to be fucked, making a lot of money, following my passions, loving my kids, and living into the life that I want to create for myself. And a lot of people don't get it. People very close to me don't get it. They're afraid they, you know, there's a lot of things there, but like I'm choosing the way I want to be fucked because I tried being the good little girl and I got fucked that way. So now I'm trying to be the, you know what, I'm going to claim what I'm going to want to want to do. And I'm going to do it in a way that's not harming anybody else. It's just going to benefit like me and everybody around me. I'm trying to create as many win, win, win situations as possible. And that's the way I want to be fucked. You know, I always try to put out a little blurb for every episode, a little summary, a title of the episode. So it's going to be Alison Kinnear on choosing how you want to be fucked. (laughs) I think that's going to be it. I'll workshop it a little bit. I love it. I love it. You got my stamp of approval. I think that's a good place to stop because I don't know that I'm going to get you much more passionate than that. And we have our title for the episode. So there we go. (laughs) I do have one final question. And you will probably have heard it before. I kind of stole it from the questions catalog from the life coaching class. So, Allison, the final question is, what is your greatest gift to the world? I think my greatest gift to the world is my realness. I want to talk about the dark stuff. I want to talk about the light stuff and celebrations, but like what you see is what you get. And I think the more real I can be with people, I know this word authentic kind of gets thrown around there, but like if the more I can open up my inner thoughts, inner heart, inner soul, then the more other people have permission or they they feel seen, they feel validated. They're like, oh my gosh, I'm not alone. And then it gives them permission 
to shine a little bit brighter in this world. You know, it's like the more real I can be, then the more real everybody else can be. And I think that's the gift. I 100% agree with that. And authentic, genuine, real, whatever adjective you want to choose. I do think it's a gift. I think you're really good at dropping F-bombs, which is a, a positive side effect of your realness. <laughs> and it's interesting, though. I I think that is part of you being real and showing up because you can also present as very, you know, politically correct, feminist, mm -hmm, empowering mm -hmm. women, professional speaker in yeah. this in this tempered environment mm -hmm. but the f-bombs are you as well and so you're yeah. a very complex nuanced passionate person and it's appreciated and it is a gift to the world that i am happy to receive so mm. thank you again for sharing thank that gift with me today and for being a fantastic guest thank you so much for having me katya it's been a lot of fun and i'm grateful that you created a space for me to let my F-bombs fly. <laughs> you can come back anytime and let's go burn down a Sephora somewhere. <laughs> Love it. <laughs>